Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services, for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, what's going on? Today we have Irene Barton with us. She is the executive director of the Cobb Collaborative. She's been in that role since September of 2018. Prior to that, she served as the organization's resource manager, and that had been since July of 2017. The collaborative is awesome because it works to uh, bring stakeholders together to address critical issues in our community, our community being Cobb County, which is where we're located as well as them, and ultimately leads to a healthy, stable, and self-sufficient families in, in the Cobb community. She's held numerous leadership positions with Georgia PTA at the local, district, and state level over the past eight years and has served on several nonprofit boards in a variety of positions. Irene and her husband Steve reside in Cobb County and are proud parents of two teenage children and a rescue dog. That's awesome. All three of our dogs are rescues as well, so I definitely understand the, <laughs> the rescue role. And um, yes. they can be a little bit crazy sometimes. Ours are outside right now because they love to bark. So <laughs> definitely understand that. So how did you get into the nonprofit world? Did you know immediately? Well, I guess you started in the PTA. Did you yes. know immediately that you wanted to go into a serving role? You know, where did that start for you? Yeah, so it really started when my children entered the school system. So our daughter, who's now 19 and a second year in college, when she started in kindergarten at um, our local elementary school, I was very fortunate to be able to work only on a um, part-time basis, and which allowed me the flexibility to be involved in the school system. And I realized pretty early on that there was so much happening at the school, um, like today's schools are not your mama's school or your grandmother's school. There's just so much that goes on, so much that's expected, and that the way to really support your child is to be involved to the extent that you can be. And that doesn't mean showing up every week for story time. It means making sure that your child is prepared and ready to learn when he or she enters through that door. And then my involve, involvement just kind of organically started spreading to the child next to my daughter at the kindergarten table and the whole table and then the whole class. And you realize that not everybody has the ability or willingness to be involved. And so, you know, if you can serve in a role as kind of a liaison or a communicator between the school to families, um, that everyone is lifted up. And so out of that, I started serving, became very active in the PTA at my local school. Um, by this time, our son had entered the school system as well. And uh, again, very fortunate that I did not have to have working in a full-time role that took a lot of time that I still had flexibility to, to be involved um, in the school. And so as I would say, you know, I usually ended up working full time. I just didn't get paid for all of it, which is fine. <laughs> and that 
um, PTA involvement led to connections with other organizations that were involved in the education space, whether it's through educational policy or funding. And so I like was an education fellow through the Georgia Partnership for Excellence in Education and um, really started getting exposed to more of the nonprofit side, um, okay. governance, finance, um, management, volunteer management, donor retention, all of that. And so that just kind of kept leading me down the path of being involved in nonprofits and making, trying to make a difference in my corner of the world. It just was a natural flow of helping in your students' lives or your kids' lives and, it, then, and the student life and then going into helping people in the community. It, it really was, Heather. And I realized that Cobb County is, has a wide variety of um, folks, families. Some families struggle with basic necessities, to be perfectly frank. Other families um, are overcoming difficulties in terms of relationships or expectations, cultural identity, and those sorts of things. And so as my involvement grew beyond just the school where my children were involved, but to other areas of the county, and then as I started serving on the board of a couple of other nonprofits that serve the entire county, mm -hmm. um, you know, I saw that the, the experiences, the opportunities for our children are not equitably distributed. A lot of times outcomes do depend upon the zip code that a child is born into. Right. And I just feel um, it's heavy on my heart to try to eliminate those sorts of equity issues and truly to improve outcomes for children and families, which is kind of how I got involved in the collaborative, so that every child, every family has the opportunity to to pursue what they want to do in order to have a healthy, stable, and successful family life and be part of their community, their neighborhood, their community, um, you know, where, however wide their scope needs to be. Right. So how did you get involved in the collaborative? How did you find out about it? How did you step into this role of management right off the bat? <laughs> so I had attended collaborative meetings as a member, both through the PTA and then as well as through another nonprofit, um, a substance abuse prevention nonprofit that um, serves Cobb County. So I had attended as a member of the general membership meetings, had networked with other people, and then truly it was just fortuitous. Back in um, early summer of 2017, I read the newsletter that they were looking for a resource manager and the position talked about membership recruitment and retention, um, communications, some advocacy, you know, public awareness um, experience and a couple of other things. And I chuckled to myself and was thinking, my gosh, that's what I've been doing on a volunteer basis for, you know, a handful of nonprofits for the last seven to eight years, I, I think I could do that job. <laughs> so yeah. I sent, um, I sent my resume in and 
that um, was great. I, I did happen to know the executive director at the time, Karen. Um, I did know her because I had attended meetings and I had seen her and she had had two children graduate from Cobb County Schools as well. So um, and we had a conversation and um, you know, I think she had some other resumes to um, to sift through and all of that. But my community connections, I think, um, worked very well in in my favor and the work that I had done previously with our school systems and and all of that. So, I considered myself very fortunate uh, to be hired as the then it was a part time position resource manager. Um, my children are older. They were um, in, I guess, yeah, both were in high school. Their high school, one was a senior and one was a freshman. So they were in the same school and on the same schedule for the first time in years. So that was nice. Yeah. And and driving, the older one was driving. So that helped too. Definitely. And so it just felt like a, um, a, you know, a good time, both from a uh, personal standpoint, um, my family just sort of ready to go back to a more um, structured part-time job, if if you will, and then um, professionally. And I, once I started, I just loved the work and really started seeing what our relationship, the fact that we were the local partner of the Georgia Family Connection Partnership, saw a lot of possibilities and potential there that we had not really delved into. And so I just hit the ground running and haven't looked back since. That's awesome. So what is the mission of the Cobb Collaborative? Good question. So our mission is to engage stakeholders in Cobb County to share ideas, expertise, and resources to improve outcomes for children and families in Cobb. Um, and so I mentioned that we're a part of the Georgia Family Connection Partnership, and that is a statewide network of agencies, organizations, throughout Georgia. In fact, every county in Georgia, all 159 counties, has a local partner that's working on improving outcomes for children and families. How each partner goes about that is a little bit different depending upon the demographics, the stakeholders, whether it's rural or urban or suburban, um, you know, just all all those factors. Georgia is a huge state with all sorts of different microeconomies, if you will. And so in Cobb, the way we work on that is bringing stakeholders to the table, empowering, engaging, and educating our nonprofits so that, that each of them can fulfill their missions with the highest level of fidelity and trust to their stakeholders and then really actively engaging on bringing stakeholders together. We call that the sort of cross-sector collaboration when you're bringing not only nonprofit, but also faith leaders, government leaders, civic education, healthcare, um, bringing those folks together to address what are critical issues in Cobb County. And for us, we have kind of coalesced that around improved third grade reading proficiency, homelessness, civic engagement, and our mental health initiative. And 
I know that sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but when you, like, if you take just working on third grade reading proficiency, there's so much that goes into whether a child is in a position to be proficient in reading by the end of third grade. You're talking health, you're talking early childhood, you're talking maternal education, you're talking community factors, like how many people in that neighborhood graduated from high school, how many pursued post-secondary careers. There's so much. So we can say it's one issue, but then the, the roots of that issue end up touching so many other areas of um, social and health determinants and factors. And then that's really how we're able to bring everybody together through that cross-sector collaboration and help everybody feel a that there's room for them at the table that we can work together in Cobb County. Yeah. So you just mentioned the competitive environment of nonprofits and how the collaborative is bringing them together. And the mission sounds like the goal is to bring nonprofits together. How do you help with that on receiving money, donors, grants, and all of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, you're absolutely right. Our mission is to convene community stakeholders um, to strengthen Yes, the nonprofit community, but not only just the nonprofit community, but the community as a whole. So we work, we provide a variety of trainings and capacity building opportunities for our members and prospective members to join us. We offer workshops on grant writing, um, workshops on strategic planning, on board and governance issues, on Um, fiscal responsibility, budgeting. We had an excellent workshop on budgets, um, nonprofit budgets last summer, you know, got into this is why, how your budget can best reflect your mission and what, what to do when you're working on a grant and the deliverables are not there, you know, how the budget needs to reflect that and how the budget can tell the story of the nonprofit. So, um, so we offer a lot of workshops Some of those are a longer, um, a deeper dive, if you will, into the issues. You certainly can't tackle strategic planning in a 30-minute session. So so we have those kind of longer three hours or so type of um, workshops. We also offer uh, shorter bites, our lunch and learns, which are typically around an hour. And we do that intentionally because most people, particularly those in the nonprofit world, have very limited time. And so we want to maximize the time and use that hour to do, uh, to just give people a taste of some of the um, relevant or most important or critical areas that our members have identified that they would like more information on. We also have our strategy teams. We have a children and family strategy team, a homelessness strategy team, a behavioral health work group and a workforce partner um, strategy team. And those are opportunities for folks to come together, learn about what's going on um, in the community that other areas are working on, and then seek opportunities to work together. We find that there is so much good going on, but a lot of times people are working in silos. And I'll give you a, for instance, in our workforce partner strategy team meeting earlier this year, we were on site. The Tommy Nobis Center was hosting us. 
which they do wonderful work in preparing developmentally disabled individuals for um, participation in the workforce, for um, independent living um, to the extent that that's possible, and really helping um, the developmentally disabled young people and, and older people lead a purposeful life. And, and then we also had um, in that room um, some of the senior work people from Must Ministries. And one of the things that Must Ministries does is help people um, return to the workforce through, you know, resume writing, um, interview tips, and um, career placement and all of that. And the um, senior director for employment at Must said, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you did all of that with the um, developmentally disabled community, I have people coming to me all the time and I didn't know where I could best help them. So, you know, I'm going to send them all to you. And which that's, is, um, that was such a simple introduction. And yet these are two relatively longstanding institutions that are operating not far from each other at all in Cod County, and they weren't even aware of the strengths of each other. And so when we can do things like that, it, it makes an impact for the families that are being served by those organizations. Right. So I actually have been to a couple of your workshops. One of the ones that I went to was the grant writing class mm -hmm. that was, I think, over the summer or fall. fall yeah, fall, I know yeah. it all starts blending together. <laughs> it definitely does. Um, but I met some great nonprofits there that are really doing the same mission that we are. Now, as you're talking about your strategy teams, I was like, hmm, I think we need a domestic violence strategy team. Um, but we have our mission, which is to bring the collaboration of domestic violence nonprofits together and we have what we want to bring as a what's called the lifestyle learning center where we are doing the resume building job searching and all that stuff but not re reinventing the wheel right bringing in those mm -hmm. partners that are already doing that and just giving them the space to do it again or more often or with different clientele and so we're trying to do pretty much the exact same thing that you guys are doing just on a smaller scale, I think, you know, just yeah, the, right. the domestic violence nonprofits and, and mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. it really is kind of a um, dog eat dog world out there. If that's a, you know, a good analogy to use and um, we're not working together. We're not, you know, using the grants that we could be using because we're not collaborating. Yes. And so I think right. that's great. And I just want, I guess yeah. can you touch on who is it? important to connect with and why is it important to connect with different people in your same realm? Mm -hmm. it, it is so important. Um, and, you know, to be perfectly frank, funders these days are looking to see collaboration. And collaboration can mean different things to different people. Um, sometimes collaboration can mean, oh, I'm just going to, you're coming, a, a client is in front of me. I can't help you because that's not my mission, but I know who can. Here's the number and good luck to you. Um, so that's not really collaboration. That's more of a referral, but right. we can start with that because that means that at least those 
organizations are aware of what each other is doing, right? But um, real collaboration is, and, and the ones that funders are looking for, um, or there seems to be a larger percentage of the funding pie going to collaboration, could be something like organizations that maybe have the same intake or screening form so that a client doesn't have to tell his or her story over and over again as they are seeking help. Um, for instance, the coordinated entry system, which is a program that is in place in Cobb County and in many places because if you're receiving HUD dollars, you need to have a coordinated entry system. Um, that's a screening tool that helps to identify people who are on the brink of homelessness by, um, it separates them into categories, whether they have children, whether they're disabled, whether they're a veteran. And so it's one screening tool that is used. And so that way, that eliminates the trauma and the anxiety of a person having to retell their story over and over. And of course, with technology today, all of that information is accessible to the um, organizations that are part of the coordinated entry system so they can access the same um, information. We've seen other places throughout not only Georgia, but uh, throughout the country use a similar type of entry system. And so again, that just, um, that leads to better coordination, reduces the amount of time that the client is spending sitting in front of a caseworker telling his or her story over and over again. Um, so that can definitely help. So that's another, that's a, probably the highest level of, of collaboration that's out there. Um, but you're right, Heather, that it's, um, it can be a dog-eat-dog -dog world in terms of competitiveness for grants and that, you know, the pie is, is not getting any bigger for sure in terms of supporting nonprofits. And so funders are being very selective in who they are supporting and being able, helping nonprofits figure out how to measure their outcomes is something that we have tried to provide training to and we will continue to, to provide training in because that is really critical and something that funders look at. We know everybody's doing great work, but how are you defining that work? How are you measuring that work? And what are the longer term outcomes for the clients that you're serving? Right. And we actually were just talking to um, Tiffany Bailey. She's the CEO of Girls Inc. And we're talking about the same exact thing. You know, when you find a grant and you're like, well, I'm doing component A, but I'm not doing component B, but I know somebody that is. And so, you know, let's come together so we can both benefit from this grant money. And then, you know, you go from $25,000 to $150,000 because of the way that you say, you know, oh, we're two different organizations, but we're coming together to work together to bring this service to the yes. community. People are so much yes. more willing to give more money when you're working mm -hmm. with people around the community to build a program that they want to sponsor. Exactly. And let me just say, I love Tiffany and the mission of Girls Inc. <laughs> so yes. that is so true. 
And then you're also capitalizing on the fact that now you have not just your board of directors and their connections, but now you have um, two boards. And so their connections and, you know, that's a, that's a big role that boards need to play in terms of supporting the nonprofits that they're serving is using their circle of influence, their circle of networks. And then that can lead to matching dollars. Um, it can, it can really just lead to, it's sort of like, you know, a pebble being dropped in a pond. So as, as the ripples go out, as you're bringing, um, more folks to the table to work on that issue. Right, exactly. So what struggles um, is the Cobb Collaborative having? What are you guys needing to further your mission and to bring more people together? Yeah, so um, good, good question and something that I think about on those runs that I talked about. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, so we, COP is a very competitive place in terms of nonprofits. So we struggle um, with getting our name out there. What we do in terms of convening stakeholders and working on a collective impact model is not something, it's not a story that can tug at one's heartstrings and specifically, I mean, a funder's heartstrings, right. <laughs> um, you know, as, as much um, as the agencies who are providing direct services. And so that is a struggle. We lost county funding this year for the first time in 18 years. The Cobb County government did not fund the nonprofit grant that we facilitated. And so 16 organizations actually in Cobb County um, lost that funding effective October 1st of this year. Wow. And so we've had to, yeah, we've had to go out and replace that funding. It was about 25% of our budget, but, but we're doing it. And through that, um, that kind of uh, soul searching, if you will, it has really helped us um, coalesce around the initiatives that we are um, involved in, our third grade reading proficiency, our civic engagement, our homelessness, and our mental health. And we have been able to find program dollars out there to support that work as we more intentionally lead focused strategic work in those areas. For instance, we work very closely with the Marietta school system on our third grade reading proficiency piece. Uh, we had a Get Georgia Reading Summit here in Cobb County in March of this year. We had close to 100 people attend the summit, and that was, it was just an awesome day and truly a reflection of cross-sector collaboration that, because we had people not only from the school system, but people from the juvenile courts and the library and the health department and other nonprofits and the faith community all coming together and understanding, gaining a deeper understanding of the four pillars of the Get Georgia Reading campaign and ways that they can be involved. Even if you are not literally teaching uh, third graders or younger ch children how to read, you are playing 
a key role in one of those four pillars of the campaign. And so um, there's a lot of attention around that issue, not only here in Georgia, but also nationally. So we have been able to uh, write some grants and receive some support. So that, that has been great. And so out of that loss of the income or, or the county grant money, has it has forced us to more, um, I guess, uh, deliberately define the initiatives that we're working in and identify um, folks who are passionate about that, who want to be a part of that strategic initiative, and then um, tell our story to potential funders. So that's been very exciting for us. Yeah, and it, it um, sounds like it's really embraced what you guys are about, bringing everybody together to get, exactly. in, you know, and to provide services for people in our community. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. Even through a struggle, you guys are still embodying your mission. Well, thank you. Yes, that, that does make me feel better, Heather. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and I've referenced um, civic engagement a couple of times, and specifically, uh, we've been working on the census, um, census 2020, to get a complete count in Cobb County. And we've been very fortunate to receive support from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta in, um, for that um, project. And it's also leading, we received a second batch of money. Um, just, we were notified just last Friday about not only a complete count to get out the count, but also a get out the vote. And so that's where we're focusing our civic engagement efforts um, for, well, we've been working pretty um, intently starting in the third quarter of 2019, and now we'll go all the way strong through November of 2020 uh, yeah. through the general election. And it's, you know, you kind of think, well, why is that important? Um, so our state agency, the Georgia Family Connection Partnership that I referenced at the beginning of our talk, they partner with um, a, the Georgia Municipal Association and a couple of other folks, and they put out a civic health index every two to three years. And the 2019 civic health index uh, was released earlier this year, and we had a presentation at one of our general membership meetings about it. And those areas, those communities with low civic engagement, and I'm talking low voter turnout, um, not participating in the census, not being involved in civic organizations and other um, types of organizations in their community, those communities with low civic engagement also have poorer health outcomes, educational outcomes, and other outcomes. So there's a direct tie there between how connected a person feels to their community through these various efforts and truly the, the health and um, community and educational outcomes that area, community, neighborhood, however you want to define it, see as a result of that. And the, um, the bad news is that Georgia does not rank very high in civic engagement. And so we are working on that because now we realize that there's a direct tie between that sort of um, participation at the community level and then um, outcomes for children and families. 
Right. So I want to shift slightly. In your PTA and nonprofit and the experience there, did you ever see indicators of domestic violence that people could look out for um, that maybe they're sitting in a PTA meeting and they notice X, Y, and Z? Did you ever notice anything like that, whether it be in PTA or in the Cobb Collaborative nonprofit world? Um, you know, probably not in the moment, to be perfectly frank, but when, as I look back and think about various meetings and, and things like that, that, you know, they're, they're probably, I can, I can think of sometimes when a, and I am going to say that it, um, it's mainly that the female was, seemed almost afraid to speak out, speak up, mm -hmm. um, didn't want to advocate for her child to maybe receive services, um, that the school system can and, and should provide because victims of um, domestic violence, whether it's physical, emotional, any of those, I mean, they're basically in survival mode um, and they're going to do anything that they can to just not, not bring attention to themselves, keep everything calm. And I, I regret um, I guess in some aspects, not, you know, being more purposeful or intentional about reaching out to people. I think that there could be training that could be provided to nonprofit leaders, whether you're volunteering or whether you're paid to help everybody you know, recognize the, the signs and there's probably subtle things. I think the um, human trafficking industry has done a good job of like raising awareness of things to look out for. And so I think that there's an opportunity for to educate, um, whether it's school social workers, volunteers um, at the school, nonprofit leaders, caseworkers, summer camp counselors, all that on things to look out for and then what, what to do if you suspect something. Definitely. And I think that that's something that, you know, we could possibly partner on and building that, um, that curriculum and getting it out to different nonprofit leaders. I think it's such an important thing because domestic violence is so taboo. That's why we started this podcast. That's why we're starting to bring awareness to it because nobody wants to talk about it. It's awkward to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, are you okay? Are you dealing with something? Can I help you? Because nobody wants to get into other people's personal business. Right. And so it is right. something that's very awkward for people to deal with. And it definitely is something that people need training on to spot those different indicators that are going on. Um, did you ever see in your time or experience in children that were abused or in abusive homes, any indicators that maybe you didn't notice right away, but looking back, you're like, okay, yeah, that, that kid was probably in a situation where they were either being abused or were watching uh, uh, their parents being abused. Similar, Heather, yes, to um, my response to the first question. Now that I look back, um, I can think of instances where that, um, you know, child was not not treated even even in public like the way that you would think a parent would treat a child, and you realize with with hindsight that 
everybody is in that toxic stress environment there. And so they were dealing with it the only way that they knew how, you know, that that was the outcome. I will say, or will add um, for children, you know, that anybody um, in the school system and most school volunteers, particularly if you're um, at a PTA level, are mandated reporters. And so, but even that, like I know I would receive, I would attend the training at the beginning of the year if you were going to be in the classroom and things like um, that. And so, you know, you were told, well, this is the state law and this is, so you're a mandated reporter. And if you suspect anything, then this is who you go to at the school. But even that, it was kind of a, um, a one and done. And I, Truly, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus because people who are working in schools and um, after school programs and all of that, they do so many great things. But sometimes, you know, what you heard in August at the beginning of the school year, you're not still thinking about it in January, right? And so maybe some ongoing reminders about the responsibilities of being a mandated reporter. And even the name is a little bit intimidating, right? I mean, because sometimes you're just showing up and like you're, you're a mom and you're showing up at school to help with a party. You're not thinking about all those other things. Right. You're not um, in a mandated reporter role at that point. So you're not. Thinking. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, maybe that there's a, um, a, kinder, gentler way to remind everybody that all of these precious children here are everybody's responsibility. And the more that we can keep our eyes open to truly with the purpose of protecting the children, you know, that should be what, what we focus on and not the, um, as, as you said just a few minutes ago, hey, I don't want to get involved in that or um, um, you know, that, that's not my business there. That's their business. So, and I, I do think we also struggle with some cultural responsiveness and a- appropriateness um, in Cobb County. And we're actually um, going to have, I'm so pleased, Beliza Urbino, the executive director of Sur Familia, is going mm-hmm. to do a workshop for us in March, I believe it is, on cultural competency when you are um, serving the community and it doesn't have to be just the Latino community of but of course that is the space that Beliza is in um, with her organization but to just I mean we are such a um, I think the term now is salad as opposed to melting pot a salad here in Cobb County with um, you know so many different languages spoken and so many different countries represented in in Cobb County that we can all benefit from the um, receiving some instruction and, and training on how um, how best to continue to improve outcomes for children and families while keeping that culturally responsive fr- framework as we do that. Definitely, I I love what you're saying. I love that you know it. It's okay to not be okay with not knowing what to do in that type of situation. It's okay to not know who to go to or who to see, but that you still seek those opportunities to learn. And you may not 
you may seek, you know, you may have those opportunities and you may go to those classes, but you still don't even know what you're supposed to look for, or how to approach it or anything like that. And a lot of times, you know, kids change over time and you, the social factors change over time. So it can always be a fluid. Um, it's like a journey, really. Yeah. A, yeah. A fluid journey. Of, mm -hmm. You know, they act this way one day and then they act this way another day and it's completely yeah. different than what you were taught that that's what you should be looking for. And especially in different cultures and, and especially even different cultures in American cultures, there are, you know, some people that believe in spanking and some people that believe that that's child abuse. And, and it's, so it's very right. hard to navigate that world as well. Um, and, and I think that it is definitely something that needs to be a continuing training and that it needs to be something that everybody's always thinking about because it needs to be at the forefront of people's minds. And I admire that you are bringing awareness to this as well. It is awesome. And then I want to also ask, is there any resources that the Cobb Collaborative has for anybody in this situation or do you know of resources available for these women? We always promote that the um, the Live Safe Crisis Hotline. We also, um, I have literally had people call me a couple of conversations um, in particular. Women have called me from their car and because they didn't want to be in their house and I have asked them if they are the victim of domestic violence and they say they have said yes and so i refer them to the um, live safe 24-hour crisis hotline and i also refer them to cob legal aid because they have attorneys there that if the women qualify you know can handle um, protective orders and things like that if there's children involved i typically get them the name of the school social worker at their school um, I have a very close relationship with a supervisor of school social workers for Cobb County. In fact, she's on our board and is um, was just elected as our chair-elect, so she'll be our chair in 2021. So excited about that. Um, but so I give them the um, name and number of the school social workers so that um, they can contact that person and you know let them know that there's something going on at home um you know um just so that the school social worker can be aware and if they um they have a protocol that they file uh, that excuse me that they follow um you know when when they know that there's something going on at home right. um so that's that's usually where where i start and then if they do need other supports like food and, and things like that. We have, well, we have our member directory online. Not everybody is in a space to be able to access that. Although there's usually, I have found usually everybody has a smartphone of some sort. Yeah. Um, there's also a, a food finder app that you can put your zip code in and we'll give you food pantries and food resources um, close to you. And so depending upon their needs, um, you know, we just respond, respond to that um, and give them resources that will help them meet their in immediate situation. Um, I am excited. We are just hopefully just a few weeks away from having an interactive map on our website with um, resources for, we've always had this um, 
paper-based or, I mean, you can access it electronically as well, called the pocket key, which is kind of a high level, just um, clothing, furniture, food, behavioral health, you know, those sorts of um, or assistance areas listed. Mm-hmm. Um, but now somebody, uh, one of our members, actually, her husband has a tool and they're able to develop a resource map. And so we like purple means, um, I forget all the connections. Let's say purple is health centers and red is food. And so the little icons, you know, will let you know that it's okay food. And then you can drill down and see the actual agency. Um, Ideally, we'd like to get into the hours that they're open, um, as well as providing the phone number and address, but we have to start somewhere. And so we're, we're starting with this. I mean, that's amazing. That is really cool. I'm sitting here like, wow, that, that's such a useful app. And that'll be amazing, especially for anybody yeah. in any situation. It doesn't have to be domestic violence. It could be homelessness. Right, right. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Amazing. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's funny. You, um, a previous question we talked about some of the challenges that the collaborative has and um there are probably if i had a nickel for every time i've heard somebody say well we have a resource directory um so i think there's about 3500 resource directories out there in right. Cobb county <laughs> and um there's no one defining one and i would like to be the one defining one but it's hard to get everybody um, at the sandbox at the same time with the appropriate tool <laughs> to, to right. make that happen. So Exactly. But I mean, it'll be, it'll be amazing when it does happen. And I think it will happen. I think a lot of people believe in and buy into what the collaborative is doing. And I think it is an amazing uh, mission and, and resource that we have available in Cobb County. And not, you know, I think other counties have collaboratives, but I have not seen one that is this, involved in their community and involved in finding all nonprofits that are out there. And they, you know, they have all these salespeople, if you want to call them that, that go out and and (laughs) preach your mission. And they're like, you know, they meet somebody. That's how I found out about you guys is somebody was like, Hey, are you part of the collaborative? And I was like, the what, (laughs) you know, and then I I joined (laughs) and it's been really helpful and it's been amazing. And I've met some awesome people through it. So it's been really, really good. And I think you guys are going to do wonderful things and that app's going to be awesome. Well, thank you, Heather. So we just have um, three more questions that we ask all of our okay. people that come on, and they go a little something like this. <laughs> if new right. you could talk to the old you, what would it say? Or what would she say? <laughs> if new you could talk to the old you. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, enjoy all the little moments of joy as you as your children grow up um, and as you age, enjoy all the little moments. Don't, don't be so anxious. That's a good one. I'm always anxious. I have, um, <laughs> Zach calls it analysis paralysis. So I'm definitely always overanalyzing everything. So that's a good one. And I think a lot of people <laughs> struggle with just living in the moment for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our next one is what can you recommend to our listeners to get them through a tough situation as a woman or as a, you know, a leader of a nonprofit or just a human in general that you found that helps you through a tough time in your life, a book, 
quote, podcast, somebody that you've turned to, anybody, anything? Yeah, um, I would say I'm, I'm very blessed. My husband is my best friend. And while he doesn't totally get understand everything that I do at work, he yeah. is such a great sounding board. So I would just, um, you know, if even if you um, are not married or have that um, relationship, but that that one person who just my mother always um, says that a true friend is somebody who knows everything about you and likes you anyway. <laughs> um, if you can just have that that one relationship or connection in in your life, that can be a sounding board for you that can tell you, you know what, you're just being a little bit crazy about this, like can be honest with you about it. I think that that is, is such a gift and, you know, yeah, can, can really make a difference. Definitely. A lot of our um, people that we've had on have said that finding someone to, you know, keep you grounded and keep you coming back to reality while you're often La La Land freaking out about everything and anything. So definitely, um, definitely, definitely need that person because it keeps us for sure. Um, And our final question is how can our listeners reach you if they wanted to hear more about you or more from you? Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. Um, So they can call the main collaborative number, which is 678-766-5574. And that's on our website as well, which is www.cobcollaborative.org. And then my email address is ibarton, that's B as in boy, A-R-T-O-N, ibarton at cobcollaborative.org. And I encourage anybody to just um, join us for um, a training session, um, a lunch and learn, a general membership meeting. You don't have to be a member to, to come on out and see what we offer just, you know, come out, try us on for size, see the various people who attend things, and then hopefully you'll want to officially join and be a part of us. And so just, yeah, just come on out. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, If you are a nonprofit in the um, Georgia area, and I think you guys take from outside of Cobb as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're, you know, if you're a nonprofit in this, in this area, please come out and just see what the the collaborative is about. I love it. I love the resources that they provide. Um, Irene, thank you so much for coming on today. You have shared a wealth of knowledge and I think that our listeners are going to get great value and I can't wait to, you know, push the mission of the collaborative. It has been my pleasure, Heather. It's great to learn more about the work that you're doing. My mind is already um, spinning about some ways that we can partner together with your um, focused work around domestic violence. So I look forward to tackling that in 2020 with you. Definitely. Thank you, Irene. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O-thriving-A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.